Ah, beloved, I'm Pastor Trey, and you're now listening to the New Living Translation. This is Bonafide Bible Talk, because God speaks my language too, and I'm sure enough about to act like it. Let's go. Alright, so this is about to be the first part two in the history of translation. And I'm doing this because last episode, well, two episodes ago, if you're counting the special book announcement, but two episodes ago was entitled The Birth of a Matrix. And we talked about Genesis chapter three. And if you pay attention, you notice that I try to keep these episodes mostly pretty succinct. I think the longest episode I've had to date might have been around 17 minutes. I got a short attention span, and I imagine some of y'all do too. But in trying to keep these things the same, sometimes I don't get to say everything that I want to, or in this case, everything that I feel like I need to. And I recognize that I left way too much meat on the bones here as I was writing a piece for my newsletter, The Sun Do Move. I'll link the piece in the show notes if you feel like reading it. But if you're more of an auditory learner or you prefer to hear things, you won't really need to go read that piece because the piece included audio and audio I'm about to drop right here in this episode. But all of this is relevant to our discussion because in the episode entitled The Birth of a Matrix, I talked about Genesis chapter three and what we in the world of Christianity often refer to as the fall or the original sin. But I don't really talk a whole lot about what I mean by the matrix, right? So if the dictionary is defining a matrix as an environment or material in which something develops or a surrounding medium or structure, when I talk about the birth of a matrix, I'm using the same concept that a lot of Christians would use to describe what transpires in the Garden of Eden between the man and the woman and the serpent, but different language. Because I think a lot of times we trip ourselves up with the word sin. And so I try to explain what I believe sin is using different words, where I think it's also a medium, a structure, an environment. My fundamental belief is that when we misunderstand or misidentify what sin is, then we misunderstand and misidentify what salvation is. We miss the ministry, the miracle, the gift of Jesus Christ when we do not understand the nature and the comprehensiveness of sin. I think on a fundamental level, a lot of people believe that sin is comprehensive, but I think a lot of times we're in the ballpark but looking in the wrong direction when it comes to sin. I say that because in the passage that I used for this episode, Genesis chapter three, there's this one quote from the serpent gets things kicked off when he says oh did God really say that and this idea that questioning God is this entryway this slippery slope to a life of sin and wickedness or whatever have you has been used to keep a lot of people bound in a place where they can't ask any questions have questions but asking them is a sign of unfaithfulness And I think that is keeping a lot of people trapped in places that might not be healthy. No, I should go beyond that. It's not that it might not be healthy. It is unhealthy. 
And I want to show you exactly how, but using the same exact passage I used in this last episode. So I apologize if y'all feel cheated in this, but when we do this bona fide Bible talk right here, in this instance, it's going to be the same exact passage that we used for the last episode or two episodes ago. It's going to be the same passage that we used for the birth of a matrix part one, Genesis chapter three, the whole thing. If you don't like hearing stuff that you already heard, go ahead, skip ahead, just like three minutes or something like that, and you can get to the end where we wrap this up and continue our bona fide Bible talk. But without any further ado, we're going to have some bona fide Bible talk again about Genesis chapter three, that faithful scene in the Garden of Eden where everything get turned upside down, all because somebody wanted to invent an environment material that was outside of the one that God had for creation. Now the snake was slicker than any of the wild animals God made. He said to the lady, God really says you couldn't eat nothing out of none of these trees in the garden, huh? And the lady said to the snake, we can eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. God just said we shouldn't eat from the tree in the middle because touching it would kill me. Then the snake said, Man, you ain't gonna die. God knows that the day you eat it is the day your eyes is open and you see like God do, knowing everything, good and evil. So when the woman saw that the fruit from that tree was good and that it looked good too, and that one in wisdom was good, she took some of that fruit and she ate it. And she gave some to her husband too. And he ate it with her. And then their eyes was open. They saw that they was naked. So they put these leaves together and made clothes. And they heard the sound of God Almighty walking in the garden in the cool breeze. So they hid themselves. The man and his wife, they hid from God Almighty in the trees of the garden that God made. God Almighty called out for Adam like, Hey, where you at? So he said, I heard you in the garden. I got scared because I'm naked, so I hid. God said, who told you you was naked? You away from that tree I told you not to eat from, ain't you? The man said, it was that lady you gave me. She gave me the fruit and I ate it. God Almighty said to the woman, yo, what you do? She said, the snake. Snake tricked me into eating that mess. So Almighty God said to the snake, just for this, you ain't never gonna be nothing. You gonna have it worse than every farm animal and every wild animal. You gonna slither around on your belly eating dirt till the day you die. And I'm gonna make sure it's beef between you and that lady and between y'all's kids. You gonna stomp on your head and you gonna bite at his feet. And God said to the lady, anytime you make a baby, you gonna feel it. When you had a baby, it's gonna hurt you. All you gonna want is your husband. He gonna be playing boss over you. God said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree that I specifically told you don't eat from that one, the land is cursed because of you. You gonna have to grind to get a meal out of it until the day that you die. You gonna find thorns and pricklies and have to eat kale and stuff. You're going to have to hustle to even eat some bread 
to the day you buried in this dirt. Because I made you out of this dirt. And you're going to go back to it. Man called his wife Eve. Because she ended up being the mother of everything living. God Almighty made better threads for the man and his wife. Gave him clothes. God Almighty said, Look, man is like a God now. Knowing everything. Good and evil. You mess around and eat from the tree of life too? You gonna live like that forever. So God Almighty put him out the garden to get it out the same mud he was made out of. God put him out and put angels in this twirly flaming sword to guard the tree of life. Perhaps you've heard this story before. Everything was going just fine in the Garden of Eden until that pesky little serpent weaseled his way into the situation and shot everything to Hades. The infamous first words of this primordial agent of chaos. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The obvious answer is no. It's not what God said. And if we didn't remember that from the chapter that directly precedes this question, then Eve clarifies for us in the answer we find in the verse immediately following that question. Except her reply isn't what God said either. God's instruction to the man before the woman was created was to not eat from the tree. She understood that she wasn't even supposed to touch its fruit. We're left to assume that the woman received the instruction from the man or in a separate communication from God or by some other agent, or maybe even that she simply got the instruction wrong, but what she said simply doesn't match what we're told God commanded. The serpent asked a valid question. And in Christian circles, the serpent's question has been weaponized as a way to suppress questions ever since we first learned about it. If people question whether prohibiting women from ecclesial roles actually honors the spirit of God, if people suggest that including people of the LGBTQ community into the fullness of fellowship and even leadership might actually be in line with Jesus's ethic of reaching out to those that have found themselves on the margins of society. If someone argues that the context in which the books of the Bible were composed was so different from our own, that wisdom demands that we re-examine God talk for our time, there comes a steady voice Warning caution. Did God really say? The implication is clear. You're doing the devil's work when you pursue these questions. The questions are slippery slopes to the gates of hell. The voice scares us away from the question. It's an effective tactic. So effective that we often forget to note that the answer to the question was no. God did not really say that. The serpent's deception was not in asking that question. Eve provided an acceptable answer, even if it wasn't exact according to the story we have. In fact, one could argue that the very first humans were setting a pattern that many Jewish thinkers, including one Jesus of Nazareth, would undertake for generations. Perhaps Adam was building a fence around the command. Maybe the man was so desperate to make sure the fruit was not consumed that when he conveyed the instruction, he intensified it. She definitely can't eat the fruit if she doesn't even touch it. 
We see Jesus do a similar thing when he says, yes, murder is wrong, so don't even get mad at your brother. Adultery is wrong, so don't even lust. Jesus' zeal for justice and righteousness can only be fully understood in the context of his being clear about the actual commands of God and what walking them out requires. Questions are a good vehicle for establishing that clarity. The serpent's deception wasn't the question. The question introduced clarity. The serpent's deception was in misrepresenting the character of God. The serpent's reply to the woman's clear representation of what God had blessed them with was a claim that God was trying to keep them from experiencing wholeness. After God had spent the entirety of human history to that point, shaping an environment that would sustain creation on its own, giving the first humans everything they needed to thrive, the serpent comes along and suggests that God wants them to live in ignorance. God created an environment in which humans had no need to even know or conceive of what evil was. The serpent painted God as controlling for doing so. And that misrepresentation led humans to pursue knowledge of that which God recognized as a barrier to the wholeness they were created for. There are people who'd like us to believe that our questions are what separate us from God. They'll often point to this story as a warning. But this story sounds a different alarm. It is not the questions that separate us from God. Questions can help us reflect on and clarify who God has been for us. It is misrepresenting who God is that separates us from the Creator. When we understand God as some authoritarian whose desire is punishment, judgment, and domination, instead of a Creator whose desire is to see us whole and thriving, then we've fallen for the deception of the serpent in the garden. Questions are not the work of the devil. Viewing God as a tyrant is. Maybe it's time we stop doing the devil's work for him. Almighty God, we thank you that your commitment is to our wholeness and that you withhold no good thing from us. We ask that right now, by the power of your spirit, you might help us to overcome this matrix by remembering that you are no tyrant that your desire is to be with us, not over us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Translation is a production of Three Black Men, the podcast about theology, culture, and the world around us. You can follow us on Twitter at Three Black Men. That's the number three, not spelled out, black men. You can find me on all social media platforms at Pastor Trey 05. That's Pastor Trey 05. Don't send me no Facebook requests, though. Like, I don't be over there. That's the bad place. This work has been made possible by a community of folks who've chosen to show their support through generosity. You can join us at patreon.com slash three black men. Spell three out that time, though. Patreon.com slash three black men. There you can find even more original content from Sam, Rob, and yours truly. Make sure you subscribe to, rate, and review the New Living Translation and Three Black Men wherever you get your podcast. And remember, real recognize real. Don't get caught looking unfamiliar. <laughs> <laughs>